So Money episode 1222, a replay for this holiday Monday, my conversation with Jennifer Risher, author of We Need to Talk, a memoir about wealth. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Well, surprised me. You know, it doesn't look or feel like what Hollywood's selling us. I felt isolated and I felt the impact of all this money as a parent, as a sister, as a friend. I mean, it was painful to feel my parents disapproved of what I had. Welcome to So Money, everybody. July 5th, you might be off from work, and we're going to take a little bit of a break on the podcast today, airing a rerun, but a goodie. Let me tell you, this conversation with Jennifer Risher, when it aired, it really uh, struck a chord. Many people writing in saying that they hadn't really ever heard a conversation like this, although why does it surprise us? People have money issues, even when you're rich, money doesn't solve problems, and it does create a a unique set of problems, as my guest Jennifer Risher explained in our conversation and also in her new book, We Need to Talk, a memoir about wealth. Jennifer and her husband were both recipients of the first dot-com bubble and all the richness that came with it, both working for major dot-com companies when they IPO'd, cashing in millions of dollars, not once, but twice. She talks about that and how it impacted her relationship with her family, her sense of place in the world, all sorts of feelings. Here's more with Jen Risher. Jen Risher, welcome to So Money, and congrats on your new book. Thank you so much, Farnoosh. I am excited to be here. Let's talk about money. Um, Your book explores your personal journey and also that of your husband together, inheriting through your careers massive amounts of wealth. I was reading about how your book was actually delayed and came out post-pandemic in a much different climate. And tell me about the conversations that you're having about money in this world that we live in. There's a lot of like discomfort around talking about money, especially rich people. You know, we don't, we hear a lot about how the poor are getting poorer, the the gap between the, the, the rich and the poor in this country. We don't really want to empathize with the super wealthy, but you want to sort of change that narrative. And this book is a, a step forward. Tell us about how it's been going in this in this moment talking about wealth. Yeah, I mean COVID really spotlighted racial and economic inequality. This is it's it's great that we can see it now because it's very important and I'm not living in a society that I'm comfortable living in. You know, when there's pain in our country, we're all in pain and we're interconnected. So what can we do? We need to disrupt the current structure which is oppressive, patriarchal. Um extractive. I mean, we need to, I hope that we can bring more wealth to communities of color, to women. Um, We need to, there's so much work that needs to get done and it's a structural problem. It's a federal government issue. We need to change the whole structure, but where I can make a difference, I think, is at a personal level by starting (laughs) 
it sounds sort of far-fetched, but just starting conversations that aren't being had because right now Mm -hmm. there's so much shame, fear, guilt, and blame around money. And we're not talking to each other. You know, we're not talking to our partners. We're not talking to our parents. We're not talking to our siblings. And when, when there's something that was so untalked about, shame just loves that sort of space. I'm going to ask you later in the show about maybe some of your policy ideas too, but let's start with the story and the discourse that you are trying to promote this conversation to mainly address the emotional challenges that everybody, including the rich, have with money. What was your inspiration to write the book? What was the moment? Because, you know, you've had a a long career. You've been rich for a long time. Was this a a, a recent realization or something that was sort of gnawing at you for years? Gnawing at me for years. You know, I got very lucky. And of course, you can back up and say, well, I was born into a white body, (laughs) into a stable family. I had a good education. So I was in a place of privilege from the start. And then I joined Microsoft and got these things called stock options. And yeah, I came into sudden wealth. And wealth surprised me. You know, it doesn't look or feel like what Hollywood's selling us. I felt isolated and I felt the impact of all this money as a parent, as a sister, as a friend. I mean, it was painful to feel my parents disapproved of what I had. And eight out of 10 people with wealth grew up middle class or poor. And yet Mm. we're not talking about this strange phenomenon where suddenly people are looking at you differently, you're being judged, and you're also grappling with a lot of emotions that that come up um, within relationships with family members, with friends. Mm. What was the biggest challenge? Many people I've read, uh, you know, there was a recent article in New York Magazine. Maybe you saw it. A woman I've talked about on this podcast a lot because I think it's so fascinating. A woman, a young woman who came into $6 million this year in a tech IPO at her company and expressing similar feelings as you've described, but she also identified her parents uh, as sort of making her feel ashamed uh, about this sudden wealth that now she feels, you know, I don't deserve it. I want to give it all back. That's, I think, for her, her biggest pain point and obstacle. What was it for you? You know, it was that was a pain point for me, too. You know, we all grow up with a money story that we learn in our childhood. We We kind of learn our attitudes towards money, our beliefs, our habits around money. And when that gets disrupted and suddenly there's a change and, you know, my dad who had been like the money manager, the expert, the person who told me never talk about money, (laughs) it's impolite, you know, suddenly I had more money than he did. That's tricky. And suddenly I was not in this, it changed the roles within our family. I mean, income inequality happens within families too. And it's, uncomfortable, it's painful, and then it's not talked about, which makes it even more painful. So you asked, is this a sudden realization? I've been writing my book for 14 years. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot of time. Initially, it was me kind of grappling with what was coming up for me. My book started out as the embarrassment of riches. And then it became it's a good title. <laughs> it was a good title and very apt title for the first five years I was working on it. And then it became the tiniest violin. Hmm. And then it was it's not about the money. For a while it was confessions of a rich woman. Um, the last taboo. 
And it was the last taboo for a long time. And I believe money is the last taboo that we need to break. Then it was what we don't talk about when we don't talk about money. And now it's We Need to Talk, a memoir about wealth. I want to go back to one of the titles, which is the, the working titles, which didn't make it. It's not about money. I think that's really true. And something that I debated on this podcast with another financial advisor who said it's all about the money, that money changes us. And I said, I think we're giving too much credence, credit to money. Like it is not a living, breathing thing. It is it is paper. It is whatever. It's These days it's virtual, but it's not. Why are we blaming money when we're not looking inward? And I mean, yes, money can be a trigger for bringing up a host of emotional issues. But do you agree? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm I taking am, it too far. And that's not are, what you meant. Absolutely. We give money way too much power. And I think that was one of the aha moments because You know, I told myself, oh, money doesn't make you happy, but I sort of secretly thought that it just might. And how could it not? And then suddenly I had a lot of it and I was like, wait a second. Oh, it really doesn't have the power that I've given it, that our society gives it. We see so much around the the wealth that we see is the visible wealth, the very materialistic wealth, the corrupt wealth. We don't see a lot of other And that's what I'm hoping to do is shine a light on the full reality of what wealth is. And it's not about the money. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm going to come back to like, it's not, I mean, we, it's because we give it so much, we, because it's in silence that gives it power. But when we take, when we're not silent about it, I think we can then put it in its place as a tool and not Mm -hmm. as something that's bigger than us. And I love this. So let me just quickly share a story. And I think this this will kind of help people understand what I'm talking about, because, you know, within our families, we're not talking about money. So I have a friend who um, she and her husband drove the same car for many, many years. And she said, you know, when that thing finally broke down, she bought an Audi Q5. She'd always wanted an Audi Q5 and she was thrilled. She loved the car. But then when she was imagining driving up and visiting her sister, She started Mm -hmm. to worry about being judged. In her mind, her sister was saying, ooh, aren't we fancy? And then in her mind, she began to justify the car. Well, it was used. It wasn't that expensive. So even before she saw her sister, she was making assumptions. She was telling herself stories. She was giving money a lot of power. Whereas what if she had actually talked to her sister? You know, when we don't talk about something, it tends to loom large and take on a life of its own. And that's what we've done with money. It is that embarrassment of riches that you initially um, went through. And I think even if you're not, if you're listening, everybody, you know, not everyone has the luxury, the freedom, the privilege to like work for a tech IPO company and make tons of money overnight. But even if you earned, you know, a $50,000 raise, or you started a business and you reached that seven figure mark, which a lot of people in my audience are striving for and are accomplishing. Um, even that is, is, is significant and can change relationships. If you came from a family that had much less or your friends make less, um, what's your advice for overcoming that embarrassment of riches? Like what would have been that conversation to have with your sister about the Q5? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it comes up a, a lot. There's the resentment that your brother has or the um, 
jealousy a friend has. You can't really share what's going on in your life. Or you want to travel with another family that doesn't share your resources and that becomes awkward. There's so many places where, it, and it's it's that change or it's the, the where there's a difference in what people's resources are that, that it, it becomes awkward. And it comes up, it either is sitting on your shoulders, you're not talking about it, or it comes up all the time. Let's say you have a friend who always wants to go out to a very expensive restaurant that you just can't afford. Or you're doing a remodel and your sister's like, ah, remodeling again. Or your daughter buys a handbag that is, you know, doesn't really fit her budget. Or your in-laws are giving money to your spouse's siblings, but they're not giving money to you. Or your friend's like, oh, you're going on vacation again. Like all these moments are painful and awkward. And I want to invite people to get uncomfortable. Because we don't have practice around this. We have to accept that it's uncomfortable. So what's my advice? I think it's starting with yourself, feeling what emotions are coming up for me. So in the situation where a friend always wants to go to an expensive restaurant, what do I feel? Am I resentful? No, no, I've, I'm ashamed. I'm earning, you know, I'm working, I'm, I'm earning a good salary. Why can't I afford those things? I, I can't go to this restaurant. I'm ashamed of that. So That's interesting information. Get curious. Think about that. I'm ashamed. Okay, now set up a time that's emotionally neutral where you can talk to your friend. Sit down with that person. And this is an important step. Acknowledge that you want to have a very uncomfortable conversation. Give Mm -hmm. each other permission to fumble around, to get it wrong. I mean, create that safe space because we aren't used to talking about money and it is uncomfortable until we start to build that muscle and get used to it. So, acknowledge the discomfort and then tell your friend, you know, I'm ashamed that I can't afford those restaurants, but I really can't go to those expensive places. Who knows what she'll say? I mean, here again, we'll be, we may have been telling our sort of stories and making assumptions. Maybe your friend says, oh my gosh, I had no idea. It's on me. I want to go out to the best places. We're going to go together. It's on me. Or maybe your friend says, oh, I had no idea. Let's go to a burger place. We don't have to go and even go out and eat. I just want to spend time with you. Or maybe your friend says, thank you for saying something. I'm in so much debt. I can't mm-hmm. afford those places either. Yeah. This is the chance to really connect and learn through conversation. And again, take the power out of money and give it to ourselves. A power to connect with each other, to learn from each other. And, and I mean, that's just so much more powerful. And because what do we all really want? It's connections with other people. That's true. It's so well said. You know, I think the other thing that people grapple with is those of us who perhaps um, came into, let's say, sudden wealth is this feeling of, do I really deserve this? So there's there's building a business and, you know, growing it and investing in it and reaping the returns and feeling really proud about that. Like that's a clear sort of linear path to pride. Uh, then there's, I worked for a company and three weeks later they IPO'd and I made $6 million or whatever the story is, or I won the lottery, right? Or I inherited money from my grandmother. And there is a different feeling there. There's a feeling of, um, I really shouldn't get too excited about this. Do it, I really deserve this. Can you help us work through that a little bit too? Like what's going on there? Well, deserving is a loaded word for me. You know, do we, what do we deserve? I think everyone deserves equally. And does one person deserve to have more than another? 
you know, that gets into the whole question of our structure in our society. Um, that's a big issue with people who inherit money. There's a lot of shame there. It's, I mean, when you think about the way we look at money in our country, there's shame at the low end. I'm ashamed of having too little, not enough. There's shame at the high end where you feel like I can't connect. I have too much, too much. This isn't right. I mean, there's a lot of shame that we feel around money. And well, Brene Brown says shame is on this one end of the continuum. The other side is empathy. And if we sit in that shame and we don't move through it, we can't get to empathy. And I think that means we also can't get to our purpose and take action and, and make a change. I mean, right now I really want to make a change. I want people to start looking at the reality here and putting money in its place as, as just another tool that we have. And it's not about whether or not you deserved it, because I'm going to say, no, there's no deserving there. I mean, there, and there's so much disparity that that to me is such a problem. I mean, Biden just said the CEOs in this country are earning 320 times more than their workers. Mm-hmm. That Do they deserve that money? No. <laughs> and And you actually have strong feelings about billionaires should our country have billionaires is that too much i mean is there a thing is too much money when it's not when it's all at the top yes absolutely i think Mm -hmm. i mean and and we are human beings what do we care about we care about connecting and there's research that shows you know the happiest countries are ones that are more equal Mm -hmm. um there's research done by dan Ariely of duke and um, michael norton of harvard that took a look at and they ask people, you know, Republicans and Democrats, rich and poor, black and white, they ask everyone, where would you prefer to live? And the answer 90% of the time was in a country more like Sweden, where it's more equal. Because ultimately, we do thrive on connecting on, on community, on relationships. That's where happiness comes. I want to revisit how you became super wealthy in just a minute. But since we're on the topic of policy, you know, it's it is a lot. You've talked about this. You had described the privilege that comes, you know, with being white and being born into a country that rewards people who have you know certain skin color than others. And you know, what other systemic changes would you like to see to close the wealth gap? There's distribution of wealth, broader distribution of wealth, which we sort of talked about, not keeping all the wealth up at the top. But what else? I mean, in particular. Okay. Ways to make it more equitable for people of color, too. Absolutely. There needs to be a redistribution of wealth, 100%. I mean, I the tax code needs to change. I should pay a lot more taxes. We need a higher minimum wage. We need to make reparations. We need health care, education, housing, food. I mean, these are basic human rights. And we need these basics. We need a complete overhaul of our structure. I'm so happy to have Biden in the White House. I do feel like he's making progress and moving in the right direction. It's a complicated thing and it's a big and unwieldy thing. But if we get our priorities in line, prioritizing human beings, prioritizing community, prioritizing families, prioritizing, you know, a, a level of basic human life for everybody, our, we would flourish. And I think we yeah. need to, yeah, I mean, 
there's a lot of change that's needed. Thanks for saying that. I mean, I think it's a, we're moving, I feel like the, the pendulum is moving in the right direction, but it is, it is multifaceted. Not everyone's going to be happy with the changes that are going to be required of us. Some people don't want to pay higher taxes, but you know what? Like something needs to change. Lots of things need to change. A lot needs to change. It's all Um, the structure of white, male, rich. Yeah. Privilege. And yeah, it needs Mm. to be shaken up. So you and your husband, both recipients of the tech bubble, the enormous wealth um, from the 90s, the startups such as Microsoft and Amazon. And what was it like the first day you discovered you were millions of dollars richer? And that happened twice, you and then your husband, both through the successes of your companies. What was your first thought? Take us to that moment. Where were you? (laughs) I wanted to keep it hidden. I was... So it, it, it was. So were you at your when, desk? Were you like driving? Well, so, yeah. you know what? I do have an image of myself when suddenly the the oh, we had all this stock. I we had just had a new baby. I was a new mom. Um, she was six weeks old. I was so in love, and I joined a mother's group. I was part of this group of women, all of us going through the same thing, um, sharing stories, sharing our birth stories, talking about how we were going to get our babies to sleep through the night, and. Um, talking about our in-laws and the baby weight we wanted to lose. Like we just had so much in common and we were bonding over this amazing event. Like it was a curtain had lifted and I was in this parenthood space and it was amazing. At the same time, this other curtain had lifted. I was, I had wealth and that space was very silent. Mm-hmm. I didn't want anyone in my mother's group to know. I want, I didn't want to be viewed differently. I was still the same person and I felt ashamed. I felt embarrassed. Um, I didn't know how to talk about it. I was shocked at all the emotions that came up. I had thought having a lot of money was nothing but good, that it would make my life perfect. And I think we too often tell ourselves this story, if only, then my life would be perfect. And we do it a lot around money. If only I could get that raise, if only I can make get that promotion, then my life would be perfect. I mean, we do it with other things too. We do it, you know, if I could lose 20 pounds, if I met the right person. Um, And I had that if only happen. But I was still me. Mm -hmm. I still had insecurities. You know, my feelings get hurt. I still make mistakes. I was a new mom, just amazed by our daughter. And I didn't want to be defined or judged or, or I didn't want to attract resentment or envy around money. I, it was not a, it was very much more complicated than I might've imagined. How did you learn to know what to do with it? I think um, it sounds like it was a very emotional time. And you could have, maybe you already, maybe you did make mistakes because they were emotionally charged with the money. What, what was the process like for you to, mm-hmm. to kind of arrive at a place where you felt in control and comfortable? It took decades, but yeah, money doesn't come with a handbook that tells you how to hire a good financial planner mm-hmm. or how to come up with a philanthropic strategy or how to raise kids that aren't spoiled or entitled. And, you know, I think the advice that you would give people is like, don't do anything, just wait, let it settle, let it settle. And um, how did I do it? I mean, I, I guess I'm fortunate that I grew up in a family that was very frugal 
I was very, I grew up saving my pennies and you know, spending was bad. Saving was good. Uh, so I didn't go on some sort of crazy spending spree. I felt um, it actually took me a long time to just get comfortable enjoying it. Mm-hmm. So um, it took it took time. And actually, I think writing the book was helpful. Um, and now I'm in such a different place where I really am much more purposeful and active with, I want to align my portfolio with my values. I want to mm-hmm. invest in marginalized communities, BIPOC communities, women, Black entrepreneurs, I want to um, make sure that everyone can get a loan and that they can get housing. I, I'm going I'm, to, I'm on a mission to do, and I'm learning. I don't know anything about investing, but I'm learning. And I'm learning in community with other women. I think women have a lot of power and we can be leaders in this space because we're the ones that aren't going to shy away from emotions. We're not going to, sh- you know, we're going to come together in community. We can start to have these conversations, which will help move us from, shame and fear into a sense of purpose and yeah. action. And now is the action. I, I want to, you know, invest and move my money out of anything that's doing harm and into a lot that's doing good. I mean, you're it, what you're saying really echoes the truth, which is that when women make more, the world can become a better place. I say this a lot on this show. It's not just hyperbole. It is fact that when women uh, become whether you make $50,000 a year or $5 million a year across all income levels, women contribute more to philanthropic endeavors than men. And that's not to say that you should do this or it's required of you when you become wealthy, but I think um, it's inspiring. And so give us a reason why for everyone listening, men and women, but particularly women, why it's good to be rich, right? It's good. There's good in this that isn't just your good, but it can be wherever good you want to spread. Yeah. I mean, money is power. And I think that word is, can be loaded for women because it's, it's defined by men, but if we can step into our own power and it's not power over, but it's power with power in community. And we like what I, I'm joined like this incredible group of women. We're all talking about how to learn about investing and, and impact investing and angel investing and where to put our money and where to put our cash and how to how to use our wealth for good how to align our money with our values and that mm-hmm. happens you know in our investments within our families i mean we can talk about you know what's our goal what are our values as a family and how are we going to show up in the world i mean it doesn't have to be with money it can be with you know our attitudes towards other people our generosity with our time there's a lot we can do. And I, I agree. It's like, it's easy to get stuck in this place. And it has been for me of like, oh my gosh, this money is a burden. It's, it's too much. It's immoral. It's, it's problematic. And okay. So yeah, those things might be true and it is immoral, but let's make a change and let's take action. So I'm, I'm, I'm in that process and it can be very joyful if it's shared. And I find if I sit alone by myself and figure out, okay, try and figure out where do I want to give my money? How do I want to invest it? That can be very overwhelming. But when I'm in a group of, with a group of women where we're learning together in community, you know, sharing ideas, doing things together, that's, there's a lot of power there. And I think that's a very productive and exciting place to use money for good. 
I could talk to you forever, Jen. This is incredible. Congrats on this book. Thank you for writing it. The book is called We Need to Talk, a memoir about wealth, where you explore the impact of wealth on identity, relationships, and sense of place in the world. It's timely. It might be uncomfortable for some of us to acknowledge this, want to read this, but I encourage everybody, if we want to talk about money, we have to talk about all types of money, all levels of money to really get the ball moving forward. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And then the, and, and my, with my book, I, I mean, I think we should be sharing our stories with each other. That's mm-hmm. how we learn, you know, by sharing our stories, we learn from each other's stories. And um, so I'm sharing mine um, in the hopes that it'll help other people understand their own. And I've included prompts and questions at the end of each chapter. So I can see someone reading it with a sister, reading it with a parent, reading it with a friend, then coming together saying, okay, let's have this uncomfortable conversation. And you can use the prompts in my book, or you can just say, you know, let me hear your story. What's your money story from your childhood? How are you overriding that? How are you aware of it when it comes up? And if if it's one that you want to change, how are you changing it? So I'm, I really do hope my book prompts conversation because that's where we start to shake things up um, and we need to shake up the status quo. Thanks, Jen. Thank you. Thanks so much to Jen for that conversation. Her book again is called We Need to Talk, A Memoir About Wealth. Hope you all had a great 4th of July weekend and I hope your day is so money. <laughs> <laughs> 